Good morning. Welcome. Uh, the start of every service, we read a psalm from the lectionary, so we're going to read uh, Psalm 146, verses 5 through 10. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. So that last praise the Lord, there's a Hebrew word for that. It's called halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah. Um, it just means to celebrate. Um, to dance. And there's even a definition that says to act clamorously foolish, which I'm not sure what clamorously foolish is, but uh, the picture in my mind is, is when David danced before the ark of the Lord. Um, so we want to celebrate him. It says that in his presence is fullness of joy. So Lord, we ask for your presence today. We are asking for your presence to fall and pray and to be in a, in a tangible way that we know that you're your Emmanuel, you're God with us, you're, you're, you're omnipresent, you're always around, but Lord, we ask for that greater outpouring of your spirit today, that we would leave change. This is just one moment in your presence, just one glimpse, just one touch. We know that we can be changed forever. So. Spirit, just do what you love to do and exalt Jesus. We lift high in the name of Jesus, for only he is worthy. So we love you in Jesus' name. felt before Jesus was born. They were stuck in the shadows in the darkest midnight. They'd await in the dark for a long time, hoping and praying and looking for the light. Then one day, one wondrous, fabulous, miraculous day, God said, let there be light. Only this time he wasn't talking about the moon or the stars or the sun. He was talking about his very own son, the most brilliant light of all. In the middle of the shadows, a baby was born, a baby who is God with skin, a baby who is the light of the world. The promise is for you too. To you, a child is born right into your darkness and your sadness and your sin. Baby Jesus, the light of the world and the light of your world. God loves us so much that he can't stand to leave us by ourselves in the dark. 
It doesn't matter how dark the dark is. Jesus comes to the darkest places so you can see his light in the brightest. And now Jesus comes to be God with us, God in us. And so as we go into prayers of the people in this theme of joy, it is not a joy because everything is pretty. It is a joy because the story is not finished in this moment. It is a story because our hope and the thing that is anchoring us is not because it feels good and we are all happy. It is a joy because we say at the end of the day, at the end of this story, Jesus is on the throne. And so in the midst of our sadness and sin, in the midst of this very room, we can proclaim with joy and hope and light to the rest of the world that the story isn't over. Jesus came and he is coming again. And so as we pray for the people in this world, the persecuted church, the churches in China who are warring and fighting to be present, we get to declare and proclaim that their story does not be, get to be dictated by their government. Because Jesus is on the throne. So God, would we be reminded in this moment as we pause that in the shadows, in the darkness, in the overwhelm, in the depression, in the sin, that was the moment you chose to send your son. And for a lot of us, we feel like we are sitting in that moment and we are pleading and desperately asking that we would be reminded of the hope of your son, that it is not over. You are coming again. And so we, as a people, proclaim to the nations for every believer that is feeling alone, that is being tortured, the, the martyrs in the world, for, for the churches that are fighting to, with their governments, with other religions to have a place in their land. God, we pray that you would be God with them, that you would comfort their souls in the way that only you can do it. God, would you come again in the moments where we feel the darkest, the most alone, and would you just reveal yourself in the most obvious of ways? We pray for the people in New Zealand who had a volcano erupt, the homes that were destroyed, the people that are now homeless. Would you come and bring comfort to them? Reveal yourself. Remind them that, that their hope is not of the things of this world. That even in the chaos, you are still good. Bring comfort to those on the South Island who are dealing with a landslide in India where the factory burned down and lives were lost because of the mistreatment and the horrible working conditions. Would you bring justice on earth? Would your kingdom come and your will be done? And 
make spaces obvious for where the church and the fellow believers can step in and be your hands and your feet. May they feel the tangible presence through your people. We pray for those in New Jersey who who've are affected by the shooting. We pray for those who were at Cumberland Mall when the guns were fired, God, in the midst of the running and the chaos and the unknown and the confusion, which is just a microcosm of what so many are feeling internally. Would you come? sitting in this room for the wits um, Cassie Witt's mom would you be near to that family give them wisdom as they have to make hard decisions may they give them a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding Rachel and Shantae's realtor family. God, I cannot imagine the pain and the devastation that is rocking that family. God, would you supernaturally come and make something good? As they mourn, may they know that you are mourning and weeping with them and you are catching every tear that they cry. And for those of us who feel like we're sitting in the silence like those um, they did before Jesus came where they all of a sudden felt like they stopped hearing from you and they were sitting in the silence and it was night and it was dark and it was hard. May we proclaim into the darkness that you sent your son into the shadows to light up the world. And so we, we proclaim light in the darkness. You love showing up in the darkness. May we look for your light of hope. May we look for your light of joy to come down. May we be little candles of light and joy to the rest of this world. In Jesus' name. All right, we're going to move on forward. Uh, choir to me is amazing. I didn't used to like choir. I thought it like hindered what would happen in a surface. Evidently, that's not true because God is very here and the choir is very full and loving and it was unbelievable. So just... Um, really was awesome. And the kids, just some of my favorite stuff to see Noah read, to see all y'all's kids read. Um, including kids and the parts of service that mean something long-term is really important. It's one thing to provide for them an experience that will match what's happening at AMC or at Disney, but it's another thing to create a space for them to understand the things that are eternal. So when they're 19 and 20, it's not so confusing, right? It's not boring. They don't want to just step away from Christianity. I think that's what's happening in Advent. I think it's reminding us we don't just always choose what we want to do. We also get to do things that are already awesome to be involved in. So thanks, everybody, who's been helping with it. I know Kids Ministry's been helping a lot. Um, Becca, they were in here on Thursday. It was 
awesome. I, I come every year and just listen to me. It was, it's one of my favorite times. I sing as loud as anybody over there. Um, I'll probably do it at some point, but then I, figure, I just feel like that's too much of me on a stage for one day. I don't feel like I should do that, even though I probably have the best voice in the room. I feel like <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair to everybody. So I got all the gifts. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. I will not sing to you. Uh, I digress. I'm not going to joke a lot today. I'm going to make that decision right now. I'm transitioning. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's pray. Let's, re- let's reset with a prayer, okay? That's what you do. Amen? Place your hand over your neighbor's heart. I had to do one more. I had to do one more, right? All the guys are like, well, I might as well. No, not here. Not here. All right, Jesus, thank you for a body that gets to pray for other bodies around the world. And thank you for the humility to know that we're not the only people doing something good. Thank you for the mistakes we make and learn from. Thank you for for the things we get to celebrate. And today, as we anticipate your arrival, and I know that you've already come, but in a lot of ways, for a lot of people, you have not come to them yet. So as we are sent to take the message of the good news to those poor in spirit where they are, I just ask that you would remind us today of your nature, of who you are and how you're at work even right now in our lives. And for those of us that are in this room that are just a thread or a hair away from saying, I think I'm done with this, I just ask God that you would help them to see how you've been working. That they wouldn't look at doctrine today and they wouldn't look at doubt today, but they would see the story of how the gospel is working because it is happening. It's happening in so many places. It's happening here. It's happening in conversations, at coffee shops. It's happening at homes. It's happening sitting next to someone's hospital bed. It's happening as we forgive those who have harmed us. It's happening as we say, I'm so sorry I did that. Please forgive me. It's happening as we give you one more chance. It's happening as we use our words to sing together with people who are so different, who in any other sphere would be annoying to us, but somehow gather together around the body of Christ because that's the most unifying thing on the planet. I just pray that today we would sense how you're moving and be reminded that we are a part of something bigger than us and we have a certain amount of time to make it count, and that's not a religious statement, but a, man, I want to get pumped about this, and I want to know how much you love us, Jesus, so that I can be this message to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we talked about John the Baptist, and he's kind of like an abrupt start to the Gospels, and he's the character in Christmas that doesn't really fit, but we cannot avoid. He's screaming in the wilderness repent and be baptized. And what we want right now is to finish our Christmas lists and continue to watch Elf and White Christmas and Die Hard. Yes, it's a Christmas movie. But Advent starts with John the Baptist. Actually, every single gospel starts with John the Baptist. And he's in the wilderness wooing people out saying, repent and be baptized because the Messiah is coming and the axe is already at the root of the tree. And so people are like, I'm, I'm going to repent, because that's horrifying. They don't see the picture of Jesus yet. They don't understand who he is yet. Like, we have this 
We know who he is, so when we think about this, we're looking at him. They don't see him, and we know that to be true because John doesn't even see who he really is. And I'm going to read you how that's true today. But what happens in this passage asked a really, really important question, and that's what's discipleship? And all of us have a really strong opinion about what discipleship is. Raise your hand if it matters what discipleship looks like to you. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, I forgive you. I I know that I have actually harmed people out of the reason the way I thought discipleship should look. I had somebody tell me once in a youth setting with like 500 people that the way that they, in the youth ministry was like 800 people, and the way that they could tell who was discipled was the ones who were sitting were new, the ones who were standing were working towards fullness in Christ, and the ones who had their hands raised were discipled. And I was like, it feels like a bit of a, I mean, it feels like a little bit of a jump to just assume that homeboy over there doing this is discipled. I could, I literally can just do that right now, right? That, I've heard somebody else talk about discipleship as the idea that it's only about what you're doing outside of the church. So a disciple truly is just, it's the whole idea of mission or on mission. And I think that's actually partially true. I've heard other people say to be truly discipled is to just fall deeply in love with Jesus and just kind of marinate in it, you know, just kind of sit in those waters and just kind of just love it, you know, like just love that. And that's partially true as well. But everybody comes to the table with some idea of what discipleship looks like. And if you don't, you should start thinking through it because it's really important. Actually, we're told, go and make disciples. And I know that just gathering people together and doing something for a certain amount of time doesn't make disciples. You know that too, right? Like that doesn't lessen the need for the body of Christ to gather because we do need to gather. We do need to gather. But what does discipleship look like? John is asking this question directly to Jesus in a passage that I'm about to read you. Last week, I read you Matthew 3. This week, it's nine chapters later, and John's in a very different scenario. He was in the desert. He was screaming out, and people were coming to be baptized. They were excited. Right after the passage I read, Jesus shows up. I actually talked about how it was like people were repenting and being baptized, and Jesus was already in the woods. I came up with that. I don't even know if it makes sense. Like, I feel like it's a cool picture, but people are being re- repenting and being baptized, and Jesus is coming through the woods, and he shows up, and he's like, now you're going to baptize me? And he's like, no, I'm not baptizing you. And he baptizes him because Jesus gets baptized by a man. And then Jesus is sent off into ministry, and now it's like this is the question. What, how was your prophecy received, John the Baptist? And it's received in this passage. You can pull up this passage. He's literally in prison. And if you don't know the story of John the Baptist, some things between him and Herod have happened because of marriage and who he's married to and because of the things he said, and he's now in prison. And so when he writes this, John the Baptist, who who we're told is the greatest of the prophets, right? He's the one culminating and building the bridge to Jesus is saying this. So open with me and read with me. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one? Are we reading this together? I like this. I messed up now, guys. We're doing it. Okay. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. 
and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why did we read that together? Did I say that? That's a good. Maybe you retained more of it. That would be great. I'm going to preach from it at this point. So how was John received? He's in prison. His question is, are you real? Just real quick, just to recap on John, I'm going to read you three passages of things he literally said about Jesus before this. Can you pull up these passages for me? I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And some, some of God's people said what? Amen. Amen? I'm, I'm looking at one person. Amen, right? Yes. Okay, next thing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lastly, and probably the thing he's most noted for saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. These are things stated about the Jesus he knew. And now, nine chapters later, he's asking if he's the real Jesus, if he's the real Messiah. When the like greatest and smartest student in a class asks the question that everybody's afraid to ask, it, like, it, it lets everyone off the hook. John the Baptist is that student, right? John's the one who was doing it the way he was told to do it. And he was following through with it, and he accomplished it, and he spoke it, and Jesus came, and he knew it. And then all of the sudden, in his mind, this might not actually be Jesus. He's the one saying, this might not be the Messiah. Why would he ask that? Why would he say that? When, when Jesus does things, differently than the way we would do them, we get offended, right? I, I mean, I know this to be true with me. But John was looking for someone who, when he came, would cut the axe, take the tree, cut it down, and that was Herod. And he started hearing, Jesus is meeting with tax collectors, and Jesus is sitting with prostitutes. And Jesus is doing these things that do not sound like the guy I just prophesied. Have you ever heard somebody prophesying it's like way wrong? None of us here? But it's like also way right? This guy prophesied 100% true. And he thought it was 100% wrong. You do not know what Jesus is going to do. And if you think you know what Jesus is going to do, let me just remind you. You do not know what Jesus is going to do. 
You do not have him confined. You do not understand everything. He does things at a different pace than we do. We would always do it differently. Everyone would do it differently. We know this because people put him on a cross because he's doing it terribly wrong. John looked for somebody who was coming back to gather the troops, and he was probably hoping that he would be right there with Jesus, right? Like me and my boy John are taking, yeah, and we're going to see Herod, and we're setting things right, and we're going to fix this, and he's coming back. And Jesus, like Flannery O'Connor, who's heard of her? She wrote a book, and she talks about, she actually was quoted, she was quoting a Bible called the Dewey Bible, which mistranslates one of the One of the verses in the passage I just read and says, the kingdom arrives violently and the violent bear it away. And actually people have taken this passage and started movements to harm others for the sake of Christ. But every time she ever speaks of the kingdom coming violently, she's talking about what happens to grace when it enters darkness. What happens when grace, and and by the way, there's no way to tell it's grace unless it's in darkness. So the idea of us sitting in rooms until we're in heaven is impossible to live in grace because grace needs darkness so you understand what it is. So when Jesus comes in and he's doing things like gathering sinners and tax collectors, John the Baptist is questioning if he's real because he should not be doing it. But he's showing something. I don't come in the way that you think I should. I don't come when you want me to. And just when you think you have me understood, I'm going to do it completely different. This is encouraging for a couple reasons for us. When you know what you know and how God's going to do it and he doesn't do it does not mean that he's not doing it. And I have so many friends right now who started out in ministry just like me. We knew we were going to conquer. I knew we were going to have a church the size of Passion City at least by now because God told me that, right? I was going to be the next Louis Giglio. And I probably am not him, if you can't tell. But all of us start, right, especially here in the south of the Bible Belt, with these like inner dreams of what we know God's going to do through us. John the Baptist literally did his work exactly right and is in jail. Now, I don't know if it's because John was too much of a polarizing figure. Maybe people would still follow him instead of Jesus. I don't know why he's in jail telling Jesus, listen, I'm here, and Jesus doesn't go get him. That's always confused me. But I know what Jesus was trying to bring was better than what John was bringing. And I wonder if John would have met Jesus and known what he was doing, what he would have sounded like in the desert. (laughs) Would his message have been the same if he would have known? Would it have been so polarizingly in your face if he would have actually known the Jesus that was coming to sit with sinners. It sounds like God has a plan for all of it outside of what man knows. For the time it was needed, it happened like this, and then Jesus comes and shows what John was talking about. And John will be the least out of all these. That's nuts. So John has to figure out how to go from preparer of the way, which is literally what people prophesy to people all the time. You've got a like, John the Baptist annoying on you, you know? You're like a J the B. You totally are. You're going to be preparing the way. You're going to be killing it, right? You're going to followers. Nobody, like John's not a comfortable guy. If the literal John was anywhere around anyone, we would all not want to be around him. He's the preacher. We're like, do not go visit them. They do not love people well. That's preparing the way. 
But he has to go from preparer of the way to follower of the Jesus. And it's earth shattering to him. He doesn't want to follow somebody that's doing what Jesus does. And maybe he would have if he'd gotten out. I don't know. I don't know the theological implications of that or what's happening. But I guarantee you he's questioning. So you wanted me to prepare the way for a Messiah that was going to come set things right. And this guy is now here doing it like this. And I'm going from prepare of the way to following this guy. Pull up four through six again. Interesting. Odd. Jesus answers John's question because John's question is very real. Just tell me. I love this like blatant tell me, are you the one? Or is there like another? Because I'm still on this mission. Like if I need to continue to prepare the way, I'll do it. Are you the one or are you not? Jesus doesn't answer him. Jesus doesn't say, yes, I am the one. Continue in what you're doing. Because he knows if he answers, it would lessen what needs to happen. He needs John to be able to choose and he needs us to be able to choose by what we see. And words are not as good as actions and they never will be. There's an Amish, a famous Amish quote that talks about a guy that asked this Amish man, hey, are you a Christian? And his answer is, well, I can't answer you, but you need to go talk to all of my neighbors. Because they'll be able to tell you. You can't tell people if you're Christian. Yes, I'm Christian. It sounds a lot different coming from your neighbors. And I'm just, I'm just letting you know <laughs> if all of our neighbors were called on the stand. I mean, just think about the, the houses that surround you. If, if somebody were to walk up to them and say, listen, we know, we know the oars, and are they Christians? <laughs> How, what would they even base that on? Our actions speak louder than words. So Jesus says this. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. In a lot of versions, it says the good news brought to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And before you think you know what that means, it's kind of a lot. But it's not the idea that Jesus is now John the Baptist saying similar stuff. People are offended that Jesus is so humble and otherly and not leadership-like and not fitting the mold. People are offended that he would come and not conquer what needs to be conquered. Why are these things you're doing so small? And we read that, right? And we know that. But everybody around that area doesn't know all those things. There wasn't social media, right? These things were small in comparison to everybody that knew. It started in a way that needed to be stronger. You need to do more, Jesus. You need to do more. And all of us are saying the same thing right now. You need to do more. Like you're praying about a job or a spouse or a not spouse or a move or a ministry position. And Jesus just needs to do more right now. And he is fully at work right now. In fact, the path that you think is not the path, right, is the exact path. John the Baptist is on the exact path for him. And it's awful. He's not walking with Jesus, conquering communities for Jesus. He's not spreading this gospel about the Messiah who's coming to take the ax to the tree. He's in a jail cell. He's done his job perfectly, and he's not doing what he thinks he should do. And Jesus is 100% doing exactly what needs to be done. So please be reminded of this. 
Like we live in such a such an instant right now. Everything that when we need to wait for Jesus to do something, our whole faith almost comes undone. That's where the faith is built. That's how you learn who he is. This is John learning, oh, he's not what I thought. He's literally not what I thought. And now I'm being shown who he really is. And I get to step back and say, do I want this version of Jesus? Do I want the one who will let me sit in a cell because he cares for me? <laughs> ah! Sarah, you just made that face like, don't say that. And I said it already. So <laughs> I know for me, the seasons of the most growth in my life have come from the seasons I could not point to what was happening. But I could say, I'm going to continue to follow Jesus even though this is horrifying. And I will choose him even though it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm losing to choose. I'd rather respond in anger, right? There's, an, there's a famous um, picture that Carl Barth actually had above his desk for a long time. I don't you pull it up. And he said, this is, this is discipleship. And we're just going to look at it for like five minutes. So on the left, it's a picture of the beloved disciple, John, holding Jesus' mom. And she's, of course, what any mom would be. And he's holding her, loving her. And on the right is homeboy John the Baptist. And he's wearing animal skins, but he's doing one thing. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's pointing at Jesus. And Karl Barth would say that the true measure of discipleship is who is pointing at Jesus and who is not. And so I think what Jesus is asking John to do is continue to point at Jesus because of what he's seeing and hearing Jesus do. So, question back to us. What would our neighbors say about us? And I'm not talking about Becoming those kind of Christians that remove decision from people, remove the grace that walks with people to learn who they are, removes the idea that my dominance in my Christianity supersedes I've actually had people celebrate when people for Christ kind of just, just take it by force. This Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't overwhelm the senses of somebody so that they will take what he, he offers who he is in a way that becomes real so that someone would say, yeah, I guarantee you a prostitute that could be killed is following this guy. I guarantee you a tax collector who's hated by everyone is following this guy. I can tell you who's also very frustrated with Jesus, those who have it figured out. Those who know what discipleship is get very angry with Jesus. I'll read you this quote. True discipleship is never first a question of our efforts to make Christ known to ourselves or others. The focus never falls first on our aesthetic achievements, worldly ambitions, or prophetic diatribes. True discipleship knows how easily we substitute the vain imaginations of our heart in place of the living Christ. True discipleship knows that he or she is still learning how to follow Jesus. 
problem with John is he knew all he needed to know and he was ready to move on. A question, who am I, every Christian sometimes asks. In John the Baptist, we find the answer. To be a disciple is no longer to look at oneself, but rather to look at Christ. And pointing to him alone, the disciple's own identity finally becomes clear. Whoever I am, thou know, O God, I am yours. Who you are, whose you are, is about Jesus. So John, my favorite picture of him, has always been the one that points to Jesus. Always pointing to Jesus. Always pointing to Jesus. Among John, this is something I want you to... I'm going to try and end a little early today and spend some time in prayer. So in your life, right? What should be happening that Jesus isn't doing? My question for you is, can you ask him to show you how he is doing it and be encouraged that he is already working on your behalf right now? And I'm talking to those of you who are distant from God, who are angry with God, who don't care about God. He is working right now for you. Right now, he is at work. A few months ago, I shared with you guys that I was really troubled about people in ministry, and a couple of pastors, I think three pastors out in California, actually took their own lives because of the weight of ministry. And something harrowing, echoing, ringing that I haven't been able um, to, to move on from in my mind is the weight of that, which is just the reality of carrying people's burdens and especially when people do it without the help of God. Like when, when you do mission for God without prayer and intimacy, it, it's, it's a burden that's impossible to carry. And I'm not saying these pastors did that, but I know when I've done that in the way it feels like. But there was one of the pastors that used to always say a phrase, and his wife actually quoted it in a blog she wrote. I'll make it available after this, but the quote was, grace always gets the last word, Jesus always gets the last word. Grace always gets the last word. Jesus always gets the last word. So I'm just speaking this to you right now. Grace always gets the last word. Jesus gets the last word. If you have a last word you've landed in, grace always gets the last word. Jesus gets the last word. You might need to step out of the cell so that Jesus can speak to you. Grace gets the last word. Jesus gets the last word. I'm going to say it again to you. Grace gets the last word. Jesus gets the last word. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever prison you are in right now, whatever sentence you are serving, grace gets the last word, Jesus gets the last word. It doesn't matter if that doesn't make sense to you. It's the truth. Grace gets the last word, Jesus gets the last word. And he speaks that over you right now. And if you don't believe it, let us believe it with you. Let us lean in for you. Let us step up with you. Share that with somebody. Too many people feel like they cannot ask the question John the Baptist asked Jesus. I don't believe Jesus is real anymore. If that's where you're at, let us stand there with you and believe for you. If you feel shame because you felt like you need to be in hiding because of it, grace gets the last word, Jesus gets the last word. If you'll all stand with me.
the way that grace works looks a lot like what Jesus is doing. It's situation by situation. It's not going to be cranked through a television network, even though it can be. It's going to look like what's happening in your home. It's going to look like what's happening in your car. It's going to look like when the thing comes at you that you didn't see coming, what's happening in that scenario. It's tiny sometimes. Almost always, actually, it's tiny. It looks like this should be bigger. Jesus, you should definitely be doing more than this. I'm in prison. And Jesus is saying, I'm working on your behalf. 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 Grace gets the last word. Jesus gets the last word. So my prayer right now is for you who need to hear that in such a way that it doesn't make sense, but somebody can speak it over you in a way that starts to land. Let someone else's faith lead you, faith lead you into that. My prayer is also, my prayer is also for your neighbors. Most pointed statement in this whole passage is that the poor have good news brought to them, have good news preached to them your neighbors. So go ahead and close your eyes. I want you to think through your neighbors. This is, I'm, about to, I'm about to ask a lot of questions and point a lot of fingers, not in a negative way. Do you know their names? Have you met them? Do they know who you are? Do they know a version of you that's mad that they came into your yard or their dog used a bathroom in their yard? Do they know a version of you that's like, I'm getting, in my, getting out of my car, quick, get in my house. They're about to come talk. Did somebody move in and you don't even know who they are yet? Like, it's really simple how to do this. It's not this just massive thing. It's literally, I know you live next door. Can we make you guys some brownies or some cookies or some vegan brownies or something? It's literally like the smallest things become the biggest things. And we keep waiting for the biggest thing to happen, trying to alleviate all the small steps to get there. Because somebody told us that 20 years ago. No, it's always been about that small step path. It's actually happening right now. In your doubt and in the questions you're asking and in your upsetness and in your resentment towards why God didn't heal this person or do that. It's right in the midst of that. It's the small things that are being formed in you because of it. He's showing you who he is so that you can be who he is, so that someone can see and hear your actions and have good news brought to them. So who are your neighbors? It's time to get to know them. Because Jesus is coming. And he's already come for us in so many ways, but he's coming. And he's looking for those who are hurt and broken and sick. And we know that because he says it like 500 times. And he's looking for the poor in spirit. And he's fighting for them when they need a voice. And he's shielding them. Who are your neighbors? Who do you live next to? Jesus, let this church become the church. And you already have God been working. And we didn't come up with a creative prayer to make you work. It was so less on us and so more on you. It was so much on you that we just have to sit back and say thanks because there's no way we could do that even with a smart prayer. So if you're broken, if you don't understand, grace gets the last word, Jesus gets the last word. 
as we have some space in here, I'm going to ask that prayer teams come up. And for the next few minutes, create some space to worship your Father. Father, we're thankful for a body to walk with. We're thankful that we don't do it alone. We're thankful that you see it all and you still pursue. Help us to pursue too. Thank you, Jesus, for all the opportunities we get to be alive, to choose joy, to fight for things that need to be fought for. As we go into this week, God, especially this week, help us to remember you and share you and break bread with our families and friends to remind all of our communities the story of Jesus and the true meaning of Christmas. We thank you, Father, for every good gift, for every single thing you've already answered. There's so many we can't even start while we lean into the things we're praying for. Jesus, we thank you. Be with us, God, as we leave this space and as we enter our weeks. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.